Do you remember uh, back in November and December of last year, uh, things were looking so optimistic. It looked like we were coming out of COVID and we'd started singing in church again, even without masks. There was one Sunday in particular, I think it was our confirmation Sunday, where we uh, like filled up right to the number we were allowed to have. I was a bit worried we might have been over, but people assured me we weren't, you know. And uh, we were singing, it was all wonderful, and we said, we're going to have our big day out uh, in March. And I talked about how I really wanted us to focus on the theme of fellowship in 2021. And uh, that's what was going to be the topic of the big day out. But then the Avalon cluster happened, and we took a few steps backwards. We're still not singing. Uh, We are back together again, though, substantially, uh, which is wonderful. So even though we haven't been able to have the big day out, uh, I wanted to set this so we had a working bee instead. I spent the day cleaning out gutters instead of preaching on fellowship. But uh, even though we haven't had that, I still want to talk about fellowship. uh, And I want that to still be our theme for this year. I want to talk about the importance of fellowship for us as a church and as individuals. That's what we're doing tonight. God, through his Holy Spirit, has given us three gifts, three uh, ways he works in us and through us to grow us and help us persevere as Christians. He's given us his word, he's given us prayer, and he has given us the gift of one another, of fellowship. Uh, Some people say, you know, what is the secret to growing as a Christian? What's the the thing I need? There's, There's nothing extra there's nothing special. God has given us those three gifts and they are the wonderful gifts we have. But that is how important fellowship is. It's one of those three gifts. Now, without any of those three, we are impoverished as Christians. We're, we're, we're sort of like weak and withering if, if we don't have the word, if we don't have prayer, if we don't have fellowship. At worst, well, we don't even want to think about at worst, but at best, if we don't have those, one of those three, we are weak and withering. And of course, that was the great sadness of COVID, wasn't it? You know, with respect to church, in many other parts of the world, COVID had a horrible impact. But here in Sydney, we were largely spared the worst of the impact. But with respect to church, the great sadness was the way our fellowship was so impaired last year. Watching a video or a stream at home is not fellowship. Uh, It's actually just a way to receive the word just like listening to a sermon on a podcast or or reading the word for yourself. Zoom gatherings, they are fellowship, but they're stunted fellowship because God has made us physical beings. So part of true fellowship is actually being together, being in physical proximity to one another. Someone wanted to argue that point with me. They said, no, 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 a Zoom gathering is just as good as meeting in someone's lounge room or meeting at church. And I said to them, so you're just as excited about a Zoom call with your friend in England as you are meeting them at the airport and hugging them when they get off the plane. And they said, oh, no, you're right. And we all know that, don't we? So we've had a year of impaired fellowship uh, and we've felt that. And what has been wonderful for me is the number of people who've said to me in the last few months, I am never going to take fellowship or church for granted again. Now, I'm actually, I've recorded every person who said that, so I can remind you in a year, but I'm only joking, sort of, no. But it's wonderful. We, we realise, oh, I've taken this for granted in the past, but I shouldn't. This should be such a joy to meet together with brothers and sisters in Christ. But the worrying thing is, and I'm not asking for a show of hands at this point, the worrying thing is that for some, we didn't actually mind too much. We quite liked snack at home. 
And we quite like small home hubs where we could invite the people we get on with to come and watch church with us. And in fact, if that's not, it's not some of us, we all have times like that, even without COVID, especially the more introverted of us. Times where church seems more of a chore than a joy and we sort of think, I'd actually rather just sort of listen to the sermon on my own. I'll let you in on a secret. I love church. I love being here. I'm the minister. I'm paid to be here. There are some weeks where it gets to quarter to six on a Sunday afternoon and I think, I'd just like to watch TV. Some weeks, not very often, but some. It happens to us all. And that happiness to just do it alone as a Christian, that is an expression of a temptation that has been there since the beginning of the church. In fact, since the beginning of humanity, the temptation to individualism. Uh, It's a temptation for us all, but strangely, it's more of a temptation for Christians who understand the gospel and know their Bibles. See, when you understand that you are saved by grace alone, the free gift of God, through faith alone, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, not by works, when you get that, you realize, I don't have to go to church to be saved. I'm saved by faith alone, grace alone, free gift of God. It's funny, it's evangelical Bible-believing Christians who often then sort of get into bad habits with respect to church, whereas Christians who are badly taught, who think you're saved by works, say, I better get to church, because they think it's a work by which they're going to be judged. It's this strange irony where Bible-believing Christians sort of sometimes say, I know Jesus so I can read his word for myself. And in COVID, well, now I can sit at home and watch a great sermon on the TV, you know, 78 inches or whatever your TV is on your wall, bigger than in person, or with just a small group of people I've chosen. We must fight that temptation because fellowship, a commitment to meeting together with the random collection of brothers and sisters in Christ that is your church, that fellowship is actually essential for our Christian perseverance and our Christian growth. It was so wonderful about that video, wasn't it? To hear people saying that and expressing that in so many ways. More than that though, fellowship is actually the very essence of what it is to be a Christian. I'm going to come to the question of why fellowship is so important uh, for us for our standing firm as Christians, for us growing as Christians in a moment. But even before I get to why fellowship is so important for us, I want to remind you that there is a bigger reason why it's so important. And that reason is our fellowship glorifies God. Or to put it another way, as it'll come up on the screen, God has saved us for fellowship. So let's look at that heading. I don't think we realise just how shaped we are by our culture rather than by God's word. And everyone thinks their culture is right. Do you know that everyone sort of thinks my culture is how we're meant to be. Everyone else is strange, but my culture is the way it's meant to be, how God designed it. That's not true. Every culture needs to be critiqued by God's word. And our culture is the most individualistic culture there has ever been. We start everything with I or me rather than many cultures which start everything with we or us. So we say, I am independent. No one can tell me what to do. It's my decision. That is just the air we breathe as people who live in modern day Australia. And it comes really naturally to us. We love it because it's basically sinful human nature. It started with Adam when he said, I don't want to listen to God. I know better than God. 
But modern Christians have dragged that individualism into our understanding of Christianity and the gospel. We tend to think it's just about me and God. But God just has a totally different way of viewing the world and if it's God's way of viewing the world, it's the right way of viewing the world. Yes, God cares about you as an individual. God even knows how many hairs are on your head, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, God wants you to know him personally through faith in Jesus. No one else's faith can save you, only you're trusting in Jesus. But God's great plan is not to have separate individual relationships with every person. From the very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, God has always been focused on saving a people for his very own. Got some extra Bible reading this week. Go and read the book of Exodus and just see the number of times God says, I will be your, plural, God. And you, plural, will be my people. Not you will be my person, but we will be his people together. You, some people I think don't get this, you and I, we are not God's treasured possession. I don't want to burst your bubble. We, together, are God's treasured possession. That's what the Bible says. It's the church, together, all of us who are God's treasured possession. And if that's just the beginning of the story in the Old Testament, well, at the very end of the Bible, we've been looking at for the last several months, in the book of Revelation, what do you see? When Christ returns, it will not be everyone in their own private cubicle worshipping God. That's not the picture. What's the picture in Revelation? It's of a multitude of people from every tribe, nation and tongue together worshipping God. It's funny, if a person went up to Jesus, I'm talking, you know, at the time of the Gospels, when the Gospels are written, if, if a person went up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, but I don't like Peter, and I don't like James, I don't like Thomas, he's very doubtful, I never know whether I can trust him, and Judas looks a bit shifty. If they said that to Jesus, they said, I want to follow you, but I don't want anything to do with your other mates. What do you think Jesus would have said to them? I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I want to do it on my own. Jesus would have said to them, you don't want to follow me then. And like, remember the story of the rich young ruler? How he sends him away and says, no, 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 you've got to, you're, you're too attached to your money. You've got to work out what to do with that before you're ready to follow me. Well, in the same way, he'd send that person away and he'd say, you are too attached to your individualism. You're too attached to your control. You're not ready to follow me. To follow Christ means to be a part of his people. And that's why the Bible views the church as Jesus' body. That's the image it uses. We read about it in Romans 12. And you cannot say you love Jesus unless you love his body. And of course, that is that wonderful picture. Look at Romans 12 now. In fact, I've put chapter 12, verse 5, which is the key verse, I think, up on the uh, screen. Look at it now. It says, In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So us think about that last phrase, just look at it again. We are individually members of one another. What that means is we are united in the same way that this finger is united to this ear. We, we have the same blood flowing through us. We, we can't exist separate of, of anyone. Before you knew Jesus, you were separate. You're a separate individual, but not anymore. 
Now we are one body interwoven with one another, interlocked with one another. You can't get rid of me and I can't get rid of you even if we want to. See, we are not complete without one another. Remember that movie, Jerry Maguire, when, when Tom Cruise says to Rene Zellweger, you complete me and it's an awful sort of horrible romantic thing. Well, it's actually true of the church, not romance. No boy or girl can complete you, but we complete one another as we're bound together with Christ. And that's why the New Testament uses all those wonderful pictures of the church. It says, we are a family with God as our Father. So we, we're not friends. Friends is great, but we're not friends. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we are here. Uh, we are a body, it says, with Jesus as our head. They're all about expressing this reality of the church. And do you know the amazing thing? Uh, I, you, you all hate this when I get you to do this. I want you to look around and look at the people around you now. Okay, look around. Not just the one person next to you who you've chosen to sit next to, but everyone. Look around. We come to church and we say, look at this motley different group of people. Half of them couldn't even be bothered putting shoes on. You, you, you know, like... Now, I, I think our church is quite impressive. You know, when you look at our church across our whole parish, there's all these different congregations, there's, there's over 500 people who are a part of it, but in the scheme of things, we can look and think that is not really that impressive. Can I tell you, that is not God's view when he looks at what is going on here tonight. God looks down and he says to the angels, to the heavenly beings, he says, that is my most glorious achievement. That strange group of people that meet at 6.30 on a Sunday night at St. George, not just us, every gathering of Christians. God says, that is my most glorious achievement. More glorious than the world I created, more glorious than the Grand Canyon, than, than Mount Everest, than the greatest sunset or the greatest sunrise you've ever seen. That is my greatest achievement. In Ephesians 2 and 3, it's describing the church, it's describing how things that might uh, divide us are removed by the gospel. Uh, and then look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It should come up on the screen. It says, This is so, this is the church coming together despite all our differences. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. See, when God sees us gathered together, despite the fact that we have nothing else in common, you know, there's people who vote for different political parties here, that doesn't matter. There's people who go for different teams here, there's people from different cultures here, even people whose first language is different to one another. All the things that usually divide humanity, when we come together simply because we all believe in Jesus... God says, that declares my wisdom, that declares my glory to the angels and demons in the heavenly realms. That is how wonderful this is. That's how important this is. When we neglect fellowship, we are actually failing to be what God has made us to be and what God has saved us to be, which is His church. There are all sorts of good reasons for your own benefit to go to church, but the biggest reason is not for your benefit. There doesn't have to be a reason all the time like that, a selfish reason, I mean. The biggest reason is for the glory of God. Because when people come together simply because of their common faith in Jesus, we are glorifying God. So that's the first point. We're saved for fellowship. Fellowship is God's great desire for us. 
Second point though, we need fellowship to persevere in our faith. There is nothing new under the sun and Christians not prioritising fellowship did not start in 2020. It started from the moment Jesus ascended into heaven. From the moment Jesus ascended into heaven, from the very first day of the church, Christians have said, do you know what, I don't need church. And I don't know if it was a sunny day in the beach for them back then. I don't know if it was kids' sport. I don't, I don't know what it was back then. But from the earliest days when they were writing the New Testament, they had to talk to Christians who said, I don't need fellowship. I've got Jesus. I can do it alone. And so from the beginning, the apostles have warned people about the dangers of not meeting regularly with other Christians. The New Testament makes it really clear. If you want to grow as a Christian, just like you need God's Word and just like you need prayer, you need fellowship. So I want us to turn to probably the most famous encouragement in all the Scriptures to prioritise meeting together. That's Hebrews chapter 10, our second reading from before. Open it up. There's going to be a couple of verses that come on the screen. If you've got your Bible there, it'll be better for you because we're going to see the whole flow of the argument. But you know this passage well because our service leader will often read these verses out at the start of our service nearly every Sunday. Uh, they won't do that now that I've said that. But anyway, verses 24 and 25, this is what it says. It says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our... If you are someone who doesn't mind writing your Bibles, just put a line through the word worship there. It's not actually there. It's an over-translation. Uh, it's, it's actually just saying staying away from our meetings the meetings of God's people. It's not saying they're what they're for. So let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other translations it says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And it's so clear, isn't it? Meet together regularly so that you can be encouraged and you can be an encouragement to others. But I think, when we just take those two verses alone, when we just read them at the start of church, we hear them as a gentle encouragement. We miss what a powerful warning they are. See, the context is here is all about make sure you keep trusting Jesus to the end because you do not want to miss out. That's the context. Make sure you keep a hold of your salvation because God's judgment is terrible. Like we've been hearing in Revelation, make sure you persevere in your face. So if you've got the, the passage open there, just follow along with me. Starts there at verse 19 uh, and in that little section he's explaining how wonderful it is to be a Christian. You've been washed clean. You can approach God with total assurance. You can go into the very throne room of God because your sin and your guilt have been taken away by Jesus, which is the most wonderful news ever. And he wants us to know God is totally faithful. God is not going to change on us. God's not going to change the rules halfway or something. If you trust in Jesus, you have this certain hope. So he says, God is faithful. Make sure you are. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 10. God is faithful, so you don't lose your faith. Look at verse 23. He says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Because, and this is the horrible warning from verse 26, he then says, if you give up on Jesus, there is nothing more for you. That's the argument here. If you give up on Jesus, well, God's got no other options for you. When Jesus returns to judge, there is no forgiveness for a person who has not kept trusting in Christ for forgiveness. So the message is, keep trusting. 
It's a really sobering warning. So then from verse 32, jump down there, he says, remember the faith you had at first. For some of you, that's more recent than for others. But he's saying, don't give up on that joy and wonder you got when you first understood that Jesus had died for your sins. When you first understood that he had risen so that you have the hope of eternal life. You see, when suffering comes, when, when persecution comes, when afflictions come, don't let them rock you. Keep trusting Jesus. Because when Jesus returns, he's not interested in people who went through a Christian phase and said, yeah, I'm following Jesus at a night back in 2021. His question won't be, did you once call yourself a Christian? His question will be, have you endured in your faith? Have you kept trusting me through the good times and the bad times? Look at verses 35 and 36. He says, so do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. He's talking about eternal life. We need to endure in our faith. And that will not be easy. And for these first people back in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, for them it was hard because people were persecuting them people were doing the sort of things we've been reading in the book of Romans they were getting direct opposition which would make them want to give up the attacks were on them the attacks were on God's word I think that can be the thing that makes us struggle to endure but I think for us in modern Australia actually the thing that makes it really hard is the wonderful sweet allure of the world the call to find your joy and your contentment and your reason for being not in Christ but here in this world, that's what makes it hardest to keep trusting Jesus. In my experience, most people who drift away from Jesus do not wake up with a crisis of faith. Some do. But most people just get caught up in the things of this world and the things of this world get bigger and bigger and bigger and Jesus gets smaller and smaller and smaller until he was just something they used to do. He gets replaced, whether it's by work or money or travel or sport or relationships is a really common one. All good things, but not when they take the place of Jesus. So how do you stand firm? How do you endure in your faith to the end? Well, on the one hand, we trust God to keep us. That's one side of the equation. God makes wonderful promises about his children. He will not let his true children fall. His spirit is at work in us to help us and strengthen us and grow us. But here in Hebrews it says, the way God will do that, the way he will keep us, well at one point it talks about his word. You can go back to chapter 4 and see that in Hebrews. At other points it talks about prayer, but here in chapter 10 it says, the tool God has given us is through the constant encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ as we meet together. That is how you endure in your faith. That is the one answer God gives in this passage. It's back at those verses. Look at 24 and 25 again. How will you stand firm? How will you persevere? By being spurred on and by being encouraged by your brothers and sisters in Christ as you meet together. And how will these brothers and sisters in Christ stand firm? How will they persevere? By being spurred on and encouraged by you as you encourage them. And the closer the day of Jesus' return comes, the more urgent it is, it says, the more we need to meet together. It's even more urgent. So do not give up meeting together. Lastly, 
How does meeting together, how does fellowship achieve that? How does fellowship help us stand firm and then grow as a Christian? Well, I've got three quick ways that it does that. The first is, it gives us the chance to speak the truth of God's Word to one another. It gives us the chance to encourage one another. That was what was so wonderful about that video, to hear all those people talking about. They love coming to Snack Youth because it's a chance to read the Bible together, to talk together about God's Word. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It's a wonderful verse. It says, Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you. This is talking about when we meet together as Christians. And it's sort of saying that the message of Christ should just sort of, this is bad in a COVID environment, but should just be sort of coming out of our mouths all over each other, washing all over one another, you know, in a socially distant, appropriate way. But that, that's the picture. It's just the air around us as we meet. And it does that as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. That is the most wonderful picture of what church is meant to be there, what fellowship is meant to be. It's a picture of every person sharing their faith in Christ, the truth of God's word with one another to teach and to encourage one another. That's what fellowship is. And that happens as we have the Bible read. It happens as we preach. It happens when we sing, at least we pray it will shortly. But it happens just as much in our conversation. It shouldn't just be a one-way street from the front to everyone there. It should then be amongst everyone. That's why we have gospel teams as well as church on a Sunday. It's why the mature Christian says church starts at 6 o'clock or 5.30 or 5 o'clock or sometime before 6.35, let the hearer understand. And it's why the mature Christian says church carries on for an hour afterwards because we come to talk to people about our Lord and pray together, not just for a formal hour of service where we listen to someone else. In a perfect world, every Christian would be really good at reading their Bible every day and would be really good at praying every day. And I pray you're getting better and better at that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who has done, done that every day for the last week because that's the thing, that's what I hope for, it's what I strive for, it's what I want to encourage you to do. But we are not in a perfect world and often we struggle. And so we need one another to speak God's word to us. And we need one another to pray with us and pray for us. Second thing, fellowship gives us the people we need to challenge us. Sin is really deceptive. The less time we spend with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the more we just accept our worldliness as normal. I don't want you to do this experiment, I never want you to do this experiment, but if it's happened to you, you'll know it's true. When you miss church for a few weeks in a row and you just hang out a lot with non-Christian people, you notice the way you speak changes. You're more happy to use crass language. You, you notice that the way you think cha changes. And, and suddenly you start thinking, oh, there's more to what the world thinks about this. It just happens because sin is like that. I want every Christian, I want every one of you to be out in the world. I want you in your, your workplaces, your unis, your schools, wherever it is you are, I want you out there as a light for Jesus. But I want you to be influencing them. That's what Jesus wants, not them influencing you. We want to influence them to consider the claims of Christ. The danger is, though, when they become the primary influence of us. 
rather than Jesus being the primary influence of us and our brothers and sisters in Christ being the primary influence of us. If 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we are hearing the gospel of the world, we need to regularly spend time with Christian brothers and sisters just to reset our brains, just to recalibrate our thinking. That is the gift of fellowship. And that relates to the final way that fellowship helps us persevere, which is thirdly, fellowship reminds us we are not alone. Someone in the video said this, I can't remember who now, but someone in the video said this, how great is it coming to Snack Youth and remembering you're not alone? Some of us have the great blessing of coming from a family where everyone else there is a believer. Some of us even have the blessing of getting to work in a Christian workplace. Not many of us though. Sometimes we are the only Christian in our family. Sometimes we're the only Christian in our group of friends. Sometimes we're the only Christian in our workplace, whatever it is. That can be a lonely experience. I remember my first, when I first became a Christian, I was in a, a legal subject tutorial and the topic of abortion came up, of all things. And I just naively gave a Christian worldview and 19 of 20 people turned on me and accused me of being in their view, the Antichrist, if I can put it that way. It was a lonely place, giving a Christian worldview where you're the only Christian. It can be really, really hard to keep following Jesus and we can start to think, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy to follow Jesus. I mean, no one else seems to think they need Jesus here. That's why we need fellowship. Because the moment we join together, we look around and we say, I'm not alone. There are other people here. Who follow Jesus and then we think and this is just one group even in our parish there are five other groups like this on a Sunday all across Sydney there are groups of people who love Jesus meeting together all through the world there are groups of people like this who love Jesus and even in the heavens we've seen in Revelation there are people who've already died who are with the Lord worshiping Jesus and so here is the thing this has never happened at St George North but even if the sermon is rubbish and even if the music is horrible, never the case here, even if it is, the very act of meeting together is an encouragement because it reminds us we're not alone. There are other people who love Jesus like we do. I could go on and on with the ways fellowship helps us stand firm and grow as a Christian, but I'll stop there because all of this is to say, coming out of COVID, 2021 is not the year where normally at our big day out, we talk about all the exciting new things we're going to be doing uh, this year. That's not what we're doing this year at St George North. I want us to get back to doing the bread and butter things we should be doing. And this is the year then for remembering again just how wonderful the gift of fellowship really is. So I want to encourage you right now to restart or start for the first time or recommit to good habits of fellowship now. Commit yourself to your church family. Commit yourself to your gospel team. Do it for yourself, for your own benefit. Do it for one another, for each other's benefit. But most of all, do it for the glory of God. God has saved you to be a part of his people. I'll close with the words of Hebrews chapter 10. It says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen.